Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing this morning? Yeah, well, we, we're excited, as Cherise said. Next week, we're going to be starting a brand new series that I believe is going to be really a catalyst, as she said, for our entire gathering. Uh, you you kind of watched the video, and, and one of the things that you, you saw there in the video is you know, a lot of different hashtags, and we're really good, and, and we do it a lot when there's been a tragedy or when there's a big cause we create a hashtag, and man, we, we spread that hashtag around as a way to kind of show support uh, for that specific cause or, or what's going on with a certain tragedy. But what we're going to talk about this next series is what would it look like for us to do more than just hashtag it, but actually to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the midst of our society and world. And what does that look like? And so we're going to dive into that the next four weeks. We have a, a devotional. We're actually going to give every single person that wants one to kind of track along in this series. And then also, and this is something I'm really excited about, we're going to, each week, we're going to present to you a goal, a more than a hashtag goal that we're going to do every single week. So we're going to have four big goals that we've been praying about that is going to help us as a gathering touch our community and literally touch the entire world. And so don't miss it. Great time to invite somebody. Uh, we're going to dive into that this next week. Uh, more than a hashtag that is the name of that series. And so we'll be excited about that. Uh, when we started City Walk Church, which was about almost nine months ago, was our first service. Uh, part of the process of starting really any organization or, or anything, if you're going to start something that is hopefully going to be meaningful and make an impact, whether it's a church or another type of organization, is you, you come up with a mission statement, and that mission statement is, is what you hope will guide you to make an impact. And so as we began to contemplate starting a church and, and moving from Florida to California where my wife grew up and, and starting a church, we began to really pray through what does God want us to accomplish? Why would we start a church in Yuba City? What is, what's the mission of that church going to be? And, and we, as we prayed about it, and, and at some point... Uh, have to show you guys some of the documents that we went through as we began to think through different and some of the names we came up for a church. You'd never want to go to that church because we had a list of all kind of names. And, and But we really began to pray through, like, what are we specifically going to be about? And, and the mission statement that we came to that we have really latched on to, and you've probably heard us talk about it, is simply this. We want to walk with people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and this statement, it's not a real long statement, but, but there's a lot of implications to the statement, walking with people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And one of the, the implications that, that really this statement implies is, is simply this. Walking is something that we see us all doing together. You, you can take a walk by yourself, but if you're going to walk with people, it means you have to walk with people. That means you're going to have some people walking with you. And so that's one of the things that it implies. It implies that we're going to walk together. But it also, when you think of the word walking, it implies most of the time that you're not in a hurry. Because if you were in a hurry, you would say, we're running together. If you need to get somewhere quickly, you don't walk there, you run there. If you got to get there quickly. And so as you think about walking with people into a growing relationship with Jesus, you're doing it together. You're, you're doing it and, it, and it takes time. It's No one's in a hurry. But then also... One of the things that this statement implies and also the New Testament implies is that walking together is a big part of what it's going to take for each of us to become more like Jesus. If you look at the model that Jesus gave us in his life, Jesus rarely walked anywhere by himself. He always had some people with him. He had his, his guys with him that he would go from town to town and, and he would walk with them. And can you imagine the conversations that they must have had on the road. As they were walking, and, and you know, Peter and Andrew and James, and, and here's Jesus, and they're just walking to the next thing, and, and, and it's walking together. It's part of the process of becoming more like Jesus. And sometimes part of what we have done maybe as a church, and, and probably not on purpose, but a lot of times we think sometimes that the church is coming and maybe sitting in a row for about an hour a week. And if we sit in a row for an hour a week, we, God's happy with us and we can kind of check that off of our box and we kind of get that little shot in the arm that we need, you know, for the next week. But as you think about the idea of walking with people into a growing relationship with Jesus and really finding freedom and really finding my life looking more like Jesus next year than it does right now, I need other people if that's going to happen. I can't do it alone, and I would guess you can't either. But yet, a lot of times we, we found, it, and I kind of grew up where uh, our family, man, we had our row at Heritage Baptist Church in Lakeland, Florida. And it was about the fourth row back, and it was our row, and you, we, ne we would never tell you to get out of our row, but it was just kind of implied. That's where the Finchams sit, and maybe you grew up in a tradition, man, where every, you, your family had their row. Like, it was not written on the pew, but man, it was your row. But, but you know this intuitively. Because for some of you, you grew up in a family where your dad sat in a row every single week, but was a train wreck at home. Yeah, the, the box got checked every single week, and, and man, everybody was always in church, and everybody was, was, was sitting there in the same place, listening to the pastor, singing the songs, and, and we did the row thing, but for some reason, that didn't seem to impact the rest of life. And so as we think about this, one of the things we want to talk about today is why we need each other, why we desperately need community. Because we've seen it happen, maybe in your own life, you're like, man, I remember a time in my life where, man, I was sitting in a row every single week, I was reading my Bible, and my life was a wreck. But, man, I had people 
faked out really good. Man, I showed up every week. But on the inside, things were a mess. And, and one of the reasons we, we desperately need to really lean into this idea of community is because every single one of us has a tendency to drift. We drift. We, we all drift, and, and it, it's part of the, one of the reasons that we desperately need each other. And, and as you think about your life, think about every area of your life. Like when you go on a diet, do you ever drift into eating better? No, we never drift towards healthy things. We drift away from healthy things. Man, if I'm on a diet, I don't drift towards eating more asparagus. I drift away from eating asparagus to ice cream. If I'm in a relationship that's, that's a healthy relationship, I, I usually don't drift closer to getting more healthy. If I'm going to drift anyway, I'm usually going to drift away from health. And it's just natural. It's, it's the sin nature inside of us that, that is not going to just automatically drift towards health. It's going to drift away, which is why we need each other. I wrote this in my notes. The gravitational pull of life rarely takes us in the right direction. Think about your own life. Like you didn't wake up one day and, and automatically drift towards, you know what, I'm going to love Jesus today, I'm going to love my family today, it just comes naturally, I'm just going to flow into that. No, you woke up like, I feel like killing my kids, I feel like killing my husband, I need my coffee, oh, oh that's not really the right mindset, let me... All right, let me spend some time with Jesus and kind of get myself together a little bit because we don't naturally drift. Our gravitational pull is to drift away. And, and here's what's really, really important. Jesus desperately desires to give us freedom, to give us hope, to give us a life that, that has purpose, but we can't do that alone. We can't do it alone. We need each other. And, and the marketplace knows this. Like if I was to ask you right now, hey, pull out your phone. Some of you are like, I actually am on Facebook right now. I, you don't need to pull out my phone. But, but if I was to say, hey, pull out your phone right now and, and look at some of the apps that you have. You have some apps probably, some programs that you're involved in that have a built-in community. Like my running app that, that I use to, to run and to track my miles, the Nike app, some of you use that same app, there's a built-in community. The planner I use, I use a planner called the Full Focus Planner, and there's a, a, a Facebook community built around the planner. And why do we have that? Why does the marketplace realize that, hey, we need these communities to help people? Because we don't naturally do things in the right direction and we need community to do what God wants us to do to meet our goals and to to really live a life that is full of purpose because we won't do that alone and, and, and as I said earlier at times the church hasn't always done this well and it's I don't think it's ever been intentional but at times the church has made it, hey, if you can just show up on Sunday, sit in a row, and be a part of the big service, then you're good. But, but you and I both know just from our own experience that, you know what, I've had seasons in my life where I have done that every single week, 
but nobody really knew me. Nobody really knew what was going on in my life. Nobody knew my fears. Nobody knew my temptations. Nobody knew the places I was drifting to that weren't healthy. But man, I was really good at sitting in a row. We desperately need each other. And, and, and one of the reasons we need each other is because, and you know this, you can see somebody else's stupidity a lot clearer than they can see it. I mean, can't you? Like you, you look at some, a friend of yours that's making a decision or they're taking a job or they, they're, they're moving in a direction and you're like, hello, and they don't see it. But you see the train coming. You see like you're about to get hit by a train, don't you? And, and, and so to have other people to speak into your life, that's why it's great if you're a teenager to listen to your parents. You're like, really? No, but I mean, think about it. Your parents have, have been down the road a little bit, and so, man, on our own we drift, and so to have somebody to speak into our life because we don't see the dangers all the time. We don't even understand or, or know that we're drifting. And this, this need for community isn't a new need. And so if you have your Bible, or we'll actually uh, put it up on the screen, we're going to look at the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, this was one of the books of the Bible that most of the books of the Bible, we know who the author is. Where Hebrews, we're not sure who actually wrote Hebrews. But Hebrews, we do know this, if you're a history person, Hebrews was written to Jewish people. So it was a book, we're not sure who wrote it, but we know the audience, it was intended for a Jewish audience. And if you grew up as a Jew, there was a few things that were really important to you. The first thing was, man, the law was real important to you. Like the law was kind of your thing if you're a Jew. When you, you know, Old Testament, you read through the Old Testament, and some of the things you read through the Old Testament, you're like, what? Like they did this? How, how does this even work? But it was, there was a lot of law. And man, if you were, grew up Jewish, man, you took, like you dove into that. You tried to keep all those rules. You tried to check all those boxes because that was kind of the thing before Jesus. So that was real important to you. But then there was something else. There were two people that if you were a Jewish boy, like these were the posters you had up on the wall. You didn't have athletes. You had a poster of Moses and you had a poster of Abraham. Probably not really, but you, you, I mean, it, it, the heroes of the Jewish people, man, were, were this guy named Moses and this dude named Abraham. And they were, if you had trading cards back then, they were like the card you really wanted because they were the heroes. And so it's a, the guy that's writing Hebrews, he's, he's writing Hebrews to these people and, that love the law and that Moses and Abraham are like the heroes. And the theme of this writing is, hey, Jesus is better than your heroes. Jesus is better than your law. And that's really what the theme of Hebrews is. But the, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 3, what he does, maybe to make us feel better, is he says, hey, let me tell you about Israel and how they like made it part of their job to drift away from God. Like They, they must have got paid for it because they did it a lot. And they drifted all the time. And so he said, hey, let me, let me tell you about how they drifted. And so look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
So this idea of hardening our heart is basically to make it dull or unresponsive to God. He says, don't harden your hearts like the people of Israel that I'm about to tell you about. He says, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. So the writer, he's saying, hey, you remember like your great-grandpa and your great-great-grandpa? Man, those guys, they hardened their hearts. They, their hearts became unresponsive to me. And he says, hey, don't be like your fathers who literally, I did huge works in their life. I did huge miracles in front of them. And for 40 years they tested me and they didn't believe me. They didn't obey me and they drifted. And, and, and if you're a little Jewish kid, you're, you're thinking of the stories. You're thinking like, oh yeah, I remember like what he's talking about. Like they, God led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They had like been slaves there for like hundreds of years. And man, God led them out. And then they came up against the Red Sea. And, and the Red Sea was in front of them. And the Egyptian army was behind them. And, and, and they didn't know what to do. And God parted the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground. And then they were in the desert and, and they didn't know what to eat. And so God, like, he provided manna for them to eat. He provided meat for them to eat. Like, God did all these things and yet their grandfathers, in the midst of doing all this, stopped believing God. They hardened their hearts. And so the writer, he's saying, man, don't be like your fathers. Verse 10, it says, Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Basically, your grandfathers, the generations before me, before you, never ever got what I had for them. The best that I had for them. They never got a hold of it because they drifted. They drifted, they drifted, they drifted, and it was devastating. So with that backdrop, he's just kind of pointed to Israel and how they drifted and the devastation. And, and these people that are hearing this and reading this are like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember. I've, Grandpa told me about this, and so this was real to them. He goes on and he, now he points to them. And he says this, he says, take care or pay attention Brothers, so these, he's talking to people who are followers of Jesus now. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away or turn away from the living God. He said, brothers, people that are now followers of Jesus, you need to be very careful because just like I've told you about your grandfathers and the generations before you that drifted and never got my best, you, you, you could do that too. And so you need to be careful because you too could fall away. You could turn away and you think, man, who in their right mind would turn away from the living God who loves you unconditionally who forgives you, who gives us purpose, who in their right mind would fall away from that? And the answer is, look in the mirror. Every single one of us has the propensity to fall away. And, and, and to, this is important that we understand this. And listen, hear this really clearly. 
we don't have the capacity to lose our salvation. We do have the capacity to make destructive decisions that hurt people and hinder our fellowship with God. So, so this writer, he's not saying, hey, people that are followers of Jesus, now they're no longer followers, like they've, they've lost their salvation. He's not talking about that. He's talking about people who are followers of Jesus, who have made really bad decisions, and because of their bad decisions, have hurt people and broken fellowship with God. But you're like, and maybe there's some pushback there. You're like, but man, let me tell you about so-and-so who was walking with us in church and, man, seemed to love Jesus and was kind of moving in the right direction. And then they started making some bad decisions. And, man, they've never really come back. And it's been years, and they continue to make bad decisions, and it doesn't seem to bother them. What about them? Well, John speaks of that, and he says this in 1 John chapter 2. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And so there are people that, man, they, they, they come to church, they sit in a row, they kind of do the deal for a while, and then they, they seem to fall away and they continue to make bad decisions and they never seem to come back. Well, the question for them might not, might not be, hey, or have you kind of backslidden in your faith? The question is, hey, did you ever really have faith? Because you don't lose what you didn't get. Like, you couldn't gain it, so you can't lose it. It was all about Jesus, and if you had it, you won't lose it because it was never up to you. It was always up to Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews, he's talking to people who are followers of Jesus. And he's concerned because he doesn't want them to drift like the generations before them. And so he says, man, take care, pay attention, be careful. And some of you, you might be saying, you know what, Chris, that's exactly my story. There was a time in my life where, man, I, I was the person who, who did some falling away and I made some bad decisions, but, but God's grace in my life has led me back. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so as, as the writer, is, he's writing and he's so concerned for these people, he, he says, hey, you, you tend to drift and you can fall away, but he gives the solution and the solution is actually right in the same verse. See, look at that verse again, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, and you'll notice it's not an individual imperative. It's not, not talking to one person, but you see some plurals in there because it's an imperative for the gathering. It's corporate. He's not talking to one person. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. You need to watch out for one another. You need to watch out for one another because, man, every one of us has a tendency, and if we think we don't, we're the next candidate for it to fall away. We have a tendency to fall away. We have a tendency to drift, and the drift begins within. The drift doesn't show up sitting in a row. Man, you sit in a row for a decade and nobody would see the drift. The drift begins with a temptation. The drift begins with a doubt on the inside. And if nobody has access to you, 
You're going to struggle alone. And when we struggle alone, we, we, we tend to make really, really bad decisions that hurt people. And so, and, and, and here's what I, let me give you an illustration. And you know this. I mean, you, you look out there, you roll into City Walk Church, you're in your minivan, you got your stick figures bowing down to the cross on the back. You're carrying in your, your big family. Nobody carries in a family Bible anymore, but you carry in that big family Bible with kind of the, the half-naked angel baby on the front of it. Man, you got your big Bible, got your stick figures on the back, bowing down to the cross. You come in, you sit in a row, everything looks good. But yet, nobody sees the inside. And if all you do is sit in a row, nobody will ever see the inside until it's too late. Till it really shows itself on the outside. I can remember in my life, and I've told you about our, our story a little bit. Like there was a season in our marriage where we were in counseling for six months and it was 99.9% my fault. And, and I remember during that time of struggle, I sat in a row every single week. I read my Bible every single day. But nobody knew how I was struggling. And that struggle, if nobody knows, you struggle alone and you won't win that. And that's not how this is all supposed to go. We're not supposed to walk alone. And, and so as you look at this passage, the very next phrase he says this. He says, but exhort one another every day. This word exhort means to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. This isn't like, hey, if you feel like it, you know, hope you're doing good. And, you know, if you feel like it, you might want to try this. This is like, hey, you're my friend. I love you. I'm urging you. I'm, I'm exhorting you. It's not like a, a timid thing. Like, I love you too much to be timid. It's exhorting somebody, urging them, encouraging them to make good decisions because you love them too much to see them destroy themselves. And, and the, the writer, he says, exhort one another and, and do it every day. He's saying, make this the rhythm of your life, just make this a normal thing that you are doing this for people in your community. You're watching out for each other and you're exhorting one another to do the right things. To make the right decisions. I, I, my desire for our gathering is that there's no one in our gathering who is not known. And what, here's what I mean by that. That everyone in our gathering has access to other people and there's other people that has access to them. So that there's never a mom, never a dad, never a college student, never a high school, middle school that struggles by themselves and the only way that happens is when we say you know what in my rhythm I have to make it more than just about a row and think about it for some of you just think about your family that you grew up in how would your family you grew up in been different if your mom and dad and maybe they were but for a lot of us that maybe they weren't. And, but think about how things might have been different if the people that raised you 
made this type of community, relationships where people spoke into each other's lives, what if they had made that a, a real important priority? How would life have been different? How would the scars that you have because of how you grew up, how, how would maybe they not even be there if somebody had had access to your mom and dad like this? And they were open to somebody encouraging them. And they were encouraging other people. How could it have been different? The writer says, he says, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Basically, while you still have this opportunity, make it part of your rhythm. And, and, and here's what he does. Then what he does is he, in the Greek, he kind of gives the purpose statement for this. Like, here's why. Here's why you need to exhort one another daily. You need to make this part of your rhythm. He says this, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, sin is really, really good at deceiving. And we're all capable of falling for the deception. Like we've all had these thoughts. Like think about the times in your life where you have had some, some moments where you've made some maybe wrong decisions and, and you're like, yeah, I can kind of relate to what you're saying, Chris, because I've had a season or two in my life like that. We, we all know that we're really good at lying to ourselves. It's, it's these things that, you know what? God wants me to be happy. It's, you know what? I really deserve this. Or actually, he's forcing me to do this. Or, you know what? I don't have a choice. And, and who would blame me for doing it this way? And, and we say these things to ourselves because sin is really good at deceiving and hardening our hearts to the point where we think things that any other time in our life we would look inside and say, that's a dumb thought. But in the midst of drifting and deceitfulness, we begin to believe lies that we never thought we would believe, which is why we need people to speak into us. The point is this, we is the best defense against the deceitfulness of sin in you. Let me say that again. We is the best defense against the deceitfulness of sin in you. You are not the best offense. I'm not the best offense for the deceitfulness of sin in me, but we are the best offense for the deceitfulness of sin in us. And so the question is simply this, what are you telling yourself these days? What are you telling yourself these days that if you were to tell someone else, they would think you've lost your mind? Like, what, what are some of the lies, or think back maybe to other seasons of your life, what, what were some of the things you were telling yourself that if somebody would have seen the inside, they would have looked at you and said, what are you thinking? This is not what you want. You don't really believe this. What are you thinking? See, it's, it's powerful when you take these lies and you kind of bring them out into the open because, and I wrote this, People may think you're crazy, but they'll stop you from doing crazy when you bring it out into the light. And, and, and you can relate to this because you've done this for other people. You, you've done this for other people where you've seen somebody, like I said earlier, starting to go down a track, starting to make a, a wrong decision or move into a, a path that you, it's like, what are you doing? Like, you can't see this, but there's a train that's about to wreck your life and hit you. Look up 
and you were able to speak into somebody's life that, that, and you, you were able to help them, that the drift begins within, so let someone in. It starts on the inside. And so it forces us, if we're really going to fight against the drift, to really let somebody in to where it starts. The, the last verse in this kind of passage that we're going to talk through he ends this, this passage with a seemingly kind of disconnected verse, but you'll notice it's, it's not disconnected when you read it. He says this, he says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And basically what he's saying, he's saying, you know what? That, that decision that you made to follow Jesus, if you will let people in, they will help you stick with that commitment. If you, if you don't, you're going to drift and you, and you may fall away from that original commitment, those, some of those original things, and, and you don't want to do that. That's why you need other people. Because, and, and you know this, and I do too, because I can just think of examples in my life where I've done really dumb things. It usually starts really small to the point where we say, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. To the point where we don't even think we need to bring anybody in. Because it's like, that's not really that big of a deal. This is, I don't want to, we say this, I don't want to bother them. And, and it starts really small, which is one of Satan's strategies. It starts really small, but then we begin to, to miss that, hey, that small thing is starting to get a little bigger. It's starting to have a little more impact in my life. And before I know it, I'm starting to make decisions I would have never guessed I would ever make. In fact, I would have told you I would have never made these decisions. But it started really small, and I never let anybody in. And by the time somebody was let in, that small drift became something that wrecked my life see no one ever wakes up on one day and says you know what I think today I'm going to walk away from the faith nobody ever wakes up and says you know what today I'm going to make a selfish decision that's going to have my kids in counseling 20 years from now like it's not just hey today's the day I'm going to do that you know what, today I'm just going to ruin a friendship. Who should I ruin? What friendship should I ruin today? You don't just, we don't wake up and just make decisions like this. Today I'm going to make a really dumb financial decision that's going to set our family back for decades. Today's the day. No, it starts small. We begin to drift. We begin to, I mean, let's be honest. I don't really need other people, and I, so I'm going to kind of do this and, and honestly, when I start to let some people in, they say some things that I don't really like. And so once in a while, I will let somebody in, but it'll be somebody that agrees with my opinion. And so they kind of put wind in my sail of deceitfulness. But I won't let the people in that are going to tell me the truth. And before we know it, we make a decision. It's like, and we look back like, where did that even start? I never thought that would happen. It starts with drifting. Here's my summary of that passage. Strongly urge one another on a regular basis so that none of you is tricked by sin and drifts away from the faith that has made such a difference in your life up until now. And if you're drifting and you're beginning to think about making decisions that would destroy your life or hurt a lot of other people, it starts subtly, 
and we desperately need each other. And so I, I wrote this. If you don't pay attention to the little things, it could cost you everything. And, and we all have stories. We all have stories of, of being hurt by people that they never thought they would ever hurt us. It never was supposed to end that way. It was never supposed to go that far. But yet, because we didn't pay attention to the drift, to the small things, we find ourselves making decisions that we would have never made before. And, and you know this, somebody can see what you can't. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for one of the evidences of God's grace in our lives is that he puts people in our path that can see what we can't see. That should encourage you and show you that God loves you. Because God has put people in every single one of our lives that can see things that we can't see to help us become more like Jesus. The question is, are we going to listen and are we going to let those people in? See, you, we'll either benefit from those people or we won't. The decision's up to us. But they're there. God puts them in our path. And, and I wrote this in my notes. When I try to walk alone, no one's impressed, and I'm setting myself up to drift. Like when, when we walk alone, sometimes we think like, oh, I'm going to do this myself. I got this. And nobody's impressed. And what we're actually doing is when we, when we do that, we're, we're, first of all, hurting ourselves, and then we're teaching the next generation, hey, you don't need anybody else. You just man up and do it. And, and, and yet, these people that just man up and do it, usually their lives are train wrecks because the strongest person needs other people. And it's so vital that we let people in. I, I put a picture of my community group up. This is part of the group that I'm a part of. And I actually was at a funeral this day, so I didn't make the picture. But we're a part of a community group on Thursday evenings. And this is a group. I, I don't lead this group. I don't any. I just come. I, and honestly, to be honest, there's some Thursday nights I don't want to go. Uh, there's some Thursday nights for me. I, I, a lot of pastors take Mondays off, and, and I take Fridays off. And so for me... Monday morning, I'm excited, I'm ready to go, but by Thursday afternoon, I'm like toasted. And so there's a lot of Thursday afternoons that I'm like, you know what I'd really love to do tonight? Watch Thursday night football and do nothing. But then, you know what, I go to community group and you know what happens? I'm never upset at myself for going. I'm never like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have went. Because when we get into our community group, we spend time together we pray together, we apply scripture together, we kind of hear what's going on in people's lives, the hurts, the, the wins, and we celebrate, we, you know, we mourn together, we pray for things that are going on in people's lives, and, and the reason that, that we're in a group is not just so I can say, hey, I'm in a group, so you should be in a group, but the reason I'm in a group is because I need to be in a group, because I need community. Another picture that's up, uh, this is a picture of our student ministry. And, and I love this. And, we, and we, we have groups in our student ministry not just because we need to kill time, but we really believe that 
that you really gain freedom when you're sitting in a circle, not in a row. It's hard to have freedom in your life when nobody really knows you. In fact, I think it's really impossible. I think it's impossible to really have freedom when you're not really known. And so we, we try to make it part of every, even if you were to walk over to the children's ministry, as long as we have the volunteers we need on the weeks we have the, the volunteers we need, those kids break up in small groups. And, and, and we do that because we want kids growing up and then teenagers and then adults to grow up in a gathering that says, hey, we need each other. We were never meant to walk alone. If we walk alone, we lose. We make terrible decisions when we walk alone. And we, I need you and you need me. You encourage me and hopefully I encourage you. There's days that my day's gone really bad and somebody lifts me up. And there's other days that my day's gone well and I'm able to lift somebody else up. But that doesn't happen sitting in a row. And so I, as, we, as we close this morning, and my goal isn't, I don't like have a sign-up sheet for small groups to pass around or anything like that. You don't have to worry. But I just want you to evaluate. Like, as you think about the rhythms of your life, first of all, I hope that you are honest enough with yourself to say, you know what, I have the propensity for stupidness. Like, hopefully everybody can raise their hand and be like, yeah, I'm one stupid attack away from a really bad decision. And if you don't, if you can't raise your hand for that, then somebody in the room will, will help you and, you know, somebody that knows you well can fill you in and say, yeah, you actually should have both hands up. Because we all do. And so it, can we just be okay with that? Can we just all be okay that nobody's perfect, nobody that ever walks in this room will ever be perfect, we all make really stupid decisions, we desperately need Jesus, every single one of us, and Jesus has put other people in our life to encourage us along the path, and it's part of His grace that has done that. And so don't be a person that just sits in a row once a week and I don't even care if it's at this church I tell people all the time if city walks not the church for you we're not trying to get the biggest crowd in town we want people who are walking with Jesus we want to help people move towards Jesus whether they're longtime followers of Jesus whether they're investigating faith whether they don't even know if they buy into the whole Jesus thing yet we want to walk with them towards Jesus because that's what Jesus did and we want to be like Jesus. And we need Jesus to be like him. So don't be a row sitter. Be someone who when you want to put the mask on, when you want to hide, when you want to just come and sit in a row and pretend everything was good, walk in the light and say, my week was awful. I need somebody if I'm going to walk with Jesus this next week. And, and what will happen is when you are brave enough to do that, you know what you're going to do for somebody else? Oh, I'm glad, glad, glad you said that because actually that's how my week's gone too. And for some of you, you may have walked away from the church because you came to church, you looked down your row, and it seemed like everybody was perfect and you weren't, so you walked away. And I'm sorry if that's happened to you because that's not what this is supposed to be. 
So lean into community. I do think everybody should be in a group, all those things. But I want you to evaluate it for yourself. And as a family, just think through, hey, who has access to us on the inside? Who, who's a, an inner circle that really has access to me on the inside that can speak into my life, that can call me out when I'm going the wrong way? Because, man, we all need those people, and, and it's an evidence of God's grace that he puts them in our life. And so let's, let's just be a gathering who leans in to others and doesn't just come and sit in rows. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to just be a part of a gathering. And Lord, this is something you set up before you even left earth. This is something that you, you knew today we would be sitting here in a multi-purpose room in Yuba City, California. And Lord, your desire is that we love you, that we walk with you, and that we walk with each other. And God, I pray that you would be at work in each one of our hearts, whether we're a teenager, whether we're, you know, maybe a young parent, maybe we're a, a parent that kids have, have kind of left the house and are into life now, whether we're a grandparent, Lord, no matter what kind of time of life we're in, Lord, I pray that you would press into our hearts the need for community. And not just because we need it, but God, we're a part of a body and our part of the body is vital to the body. And so as much as we need to be a part of community, the community needs us to be a part of it, or the body's not complete. And so God, I pray that you would lead and guide each of us, whether we're followers of you, and maybe there's some people here today that are not followers of you, Lord, I pray that we would be a gathering that is safe and welcoming for anyone, where you can belong before you believe. God, I pray that we would be a gathering that is walking with people no matter where they are towards you because you're the one that changes us. And we need you and we need each other. In Jesus' name, amen.